As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And then there were none. No Canadian teams remaining in the Stanley Cup playoffs after the Oilers lose 5-2 last night on home ice against Vegas. They fall in six games one round earlier than they did a year ago, so I'm sure there's you know mixed feelings in Canucks Nation because there are those who have no interest in seeing any level of success for any other Canadian team, and then there are those who just want to see a Canada's team win. My good friend Harmon Dial on this warm Monday afternoon, how do you feel? Yeah, honestly, it might be a bit of a hot take here, but I really wanted to see uh, McDavid and Drysaddle just playing the conference final. I'm not saying that I uh, that I wanted them to necessarily go on and win the whole cup but it it always feels like there's an entertainment factor um where whether the oilers are winning or losing they do it in spectacular fashion there's always (laughs) drama it it just makes for more entertaining hockey and so to for me i i i i mean i'm not sad or anything like I i don't really care that they're eliminated but i'm also not i'm not pumped the way i was for example when the leafs got knocked out you know yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same. I mean, you know, generally there's a level of annoyance at the Oiler fan base, but I, like, I, there's also a part of me that would feel that it's a shame for Connor McDavid to go through his career and not win a cup, right? Like that, that I think would suck. You know, at the end of the day, the best players, you don't want that what if hanging over their head. And, you know, he is the best player on the planet, full stop. And you, you just, at some point, I want to see him win one. Even if I don't necessarily want to see the parade in the ice district in Edmonton, uh, I do want to see this guy win a Stanley Cup. And you're, you're right. There's an entertainment value that comes with it. Look, there's, I'm not going to lie. There's another side for me because once the Canadian teams are out, then we can put a little more oxygen into the start of the CFL season with, with Canadian media, at least the TSN, right? Because we're the rights holders. So that matters. So that's the business side of me that, 
that uh, comes out and kind of rejoices a little bit when the uh, the other Canadian teams get eliminated and when the Blue Jays struggle, right? So uh, two two down, one to go, as it were. But um, you know, nonetheless, let's talk a bit about this series. And when you looked at the way Leon Drysidle, and you know, and I know people are going to talk about goaltending, and we'll get there. We should let our VIPs know that Kevin Woodley, goaltending guru, is going to join us in the second half of the show. So we're going to dive into the goaltending discussion there. So I think in the first half, we want to talk about the other parts of these two teams. Did did we do our show last Wednesday? Were the Leafs still alive then? I think they were just they were losing. still alive. Yeah, they, they were they down lost that night. And then today, the Leafs are going to have their their postseason availability with management and coaching, right? So, um, you know, because, you know, why, why not get that done right away? Let's let that linger and build up, right? So they're going to do that today. So we'll get into both of those teams, but we also want to talk about from a Canucks standpoint what the takeaways and comparables are. You look at Edmonton, and it's been so much about McDavid and Dreisaitl, and everybody knew that this was a, a flawed team for a number of years. But then this year, the thought was, okay, well, look, this might look a little bit different. You look at the last three months of the season, they were the best team in the NHL. Their power play was ridiculous. And then, you know, Skinner was is a Calder Trophy finalist. And we certainly felt that their D had emerged enough that it wasn't going to be the anchor that it had been in previous years and that they had some depth of scoring. And so much of their past problems surfaced again. And then when you had Dreisaitl, who in the first round against the Kings was ridiculously good, and even in the first two games of this series was very good with, with six goals in two games, but then one point in four games in these these last four games, and he was a minus four last night and didn't look good doing it in that second period. You know, um, Skinner runs out of gas. McDavid was, was solid. He certainly did his part. But Kane and Hyman each kind of disappeared. Uh, a lot of the flaws really crept up on this team. Their defensive play was not good. Their five-on-five play was not good. So who are the Edmonton Oilers? Well, here's the thing. On paper, I still think going into these playoffs that this was the most complete lineup they had uh, iced. I thought this team was more complete than the one that made the Western Conference final last year, especially when you look at adding a piece like Matthias Ekholm on the on the back end and what that meant not only in terms of his penalty killing and defensive sort of value, but we saw how having him as a steady defensive safety net almost had a Chris Tanev-like effect on um, Evan Bouchard, who broke out in the playoffs in, in such a huge way. And then up front, if you look at that lineup and, and again, it just felt like they finally had some secondary scoring. And then for whatever reason, in, in that second round, it just went uh, completely dry. I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, 104 points in the regular season. Oh my gosh. I think he had, what was it? Two, five and five points the entire playoffs. Yep. Um, Zach Hyman, 83 points in the regular season. Very, very quiet in the second round. Evander Kane, the th- he had 13 goals in what was it? 16 playoff games last year. Very quiet in the Vegas series. The only time you really noticed him was with the extracurriculars. So it's that secondary wave of offense that just completely disappeared and they became a two-man team again, which on paper they should not have been. Not to mention, you have Darnell Nurse making $8 million. That's a shutdown pair. Two on the ice at 5-5 five and five in that Vegas series. Two goals, four, and seven against with him on the ice. That's unacce- unacceptable. This guy's making more money than Quinn Hughes does. And um, and nowhere near sort of good enough. And of course, you mix mix the goaltending in. Um, I think the flip side of the coin is also really interesting because 
what you saw in that game six was Jonathan Marshall goes off for that natural hat trick. It's a reminder for me that yes, size is typically correlate is typically correlated with um, that level of you know sort of hardness and and a lot of the intangibles that we all look at in terms of does this guy have what it takes takes to win? You obviously prefer to have size rather than be small. Marcia So's hat trick in that game in such a clutch moment after a relatively quiet playoffs to that point. And especially when you look at his overall track record and, and how he's consistently stepped up in postseasons, it's a reminder that size isn't the sole determining factor for whether guys have that fight in them to actually perform the playoffs. Because you look at the contrary of that and you look at somebody like an Austin Matthews, right? Austin Matthews, he's 6'3, 6'4, has all the you know, physical tools to sort of dominate in that sense. But you can see that time and time again in the postseason, he doesn't have that sort of dog in him to um, to show up when, um, you know, when the stakes are the highest. So I, I thought that was uh, an interesting reminder as well um, in terms of how Marcia so stepped up and, and just absolutely took over that game despite uh, being, an, uh, being an undersized guy. Yeah, and when you look at the comparables to the Canucks, I mean, that depth scoring is is a big piece, right? Especially you look at the third line of Vegas and what it was able to do and what Edmonton's wasn't, and you look at Vancouver, who really, you know, I don't know what you want to say if they don't have a – do they have a second line or do they have a third line? You know, we think they've got a top line or we know they've got a top line center. We think some of the pieces showed this year that they might be a really, really solid fourth line on a good team, but there are some holes in the middle of that lineup, right? And when you, when you look at Edmonton, and it's not just creating – depth scoring. It's creating depth scoring that can function when you get matchups and when you get asked to do things and when people can figure you out over the course of a seven-game series, right, where you can play through. I mean, heck, even Edmonton's top line, when you look at the amount of time that their coaching staff spent trying to get their top players away from Carlson in this last game, like, what are we talking about here? Should you? Should there ever be a situation where you take McDavid or Dreisaitl off the ice, and they were doing that at times to avoid Carlson. Like they were letting Vegas dictate their matchups with their top guys, so their third line guys had zero chance to function in the series. Yeah, and you look at Carlson, Riley Smith, and, and Nick Waugh. That's that's Vegas' third line, right? Like, yeah, that was their X factor. And you look at um, the numbers in that series. Carlson played nearly thirty head-to-head minutes at five on five against McDavid in that series. McDavid's line scored zero goals in that span. So that tells you right there in terms of a third line that was not only effective, but whenever you match them up against Edmonton's top guys, that was the difference maker where, where, you know, that completely silenced them. And even you think about for the beginning part of the season or series, uh, or I mean, the series as a whole, there were a lot of times when at even strength, they just did not create enough. The the big guns, even when you look at uh, McDavid and Drysaddle. So for the Canucks, you look at that and go, all right, well, that's, Often, what it takes is not only a third line that's um, that's competent, but if you want to push and, and go deep in the playoffs, sometimes it takes having that type of X factor third line that can not only produce offense but can also shut a team down defensively. And then on the flip side of the coin as well, when you look at the Leafs Panther series, I mean, the Barkov and Kachuk lines played well in in that series. They were better than the Leafs' top guys. But that third line for Florida with Lundell, Lusterinen, and Reinhardt, that was really, to me, embodies the 
the identity of that Panthers team in terms of how tenacious they are in the forecheck, how response, how responsible all three of those guys are in terms of they're going to be aggressive and they're going to tr- help uh, be disruptive and turn, turn pucks over. But they're also going to be competent um, defensively. And, and that really, again, was the X factor. And having Lundell, an ELC third line center who is uh, is really solid defensively, but can also put up uh, put up uh, some offense. And and you even saw in key moments them stepping up. Reinhardt's OT, OT winner as well. So that's a reminder as well where when you look at, for example, the Canucks moving forward and maybe not necessarily next season, but big picture, it makes Aturatu, for me, such an important player for this team because you don't have to look at him and go, look, if he's more than, let's say, uh, a really a really good third line center, great, right? If he turns into a legit 2C, amazing. But even if he doesn't reach that, if he's just, let's say, a really capable third line center, especially in his younger years as um, as he's on his ELC or shortly thereafter... That's such a huge boost for the Canucks in terms of taking that um, next step. Because for me, that was such a key difference in um, in both of those series. Is was these teams have a third line that can um, that can really you know grind you down. And you think of obviously you know past cup winners, Tampa. I mean, look at how important it was for them to have that Gord uh, Coleman um, the draw the line. Yeah. Uh, for Seattle, I mean, having uh, Gord again, obviously, in, in Tolvin and in, in Bjorkstrand. So, uh, to me, it's um, it's an interesting to sort of see that lineup uh, trend uh, in the in the playoffs. Well, before and before we leave the Leaf Florida series, let's talk a bit about Florida's blue line, right? Because that's an area of focus for Vancouver, and you know, the Leafs or sorry, the the Panthers blue line is, is fairly marginal. You look at Vancouver's blue line, and how far away are they from being at that level? Because Florida doesn't have anybody as dynamic as Quinn Hughes. And you think Philip Roenick would function right well in, in Florida's top four as well. Um, you know, and look, the Canucks still have some work to do to, to complete that group, but are they far enough away or how far away are they from having a functional back end that can compete in the playoffs? Yeah. Well, to me, this was from the Canucks' standpoint, the most positive takeaway is seeing that the Panthers have had the success despite a very shaky blue line. Going into these playoffs, I, I looked at that blue line. And what's key is that it wasn't just that y- you wonder about their talent. I mean, having Mark Stahl play top four minutes on your second pair, that, that shows you right away what kind of holes you have. But also you look at the composition of that top four stylistically. And all of these guys are typically more you know, making plays with the puck, skating, more offensively oriented. You don't have this sort of like signature shutdown matchup uh, type of guy that you look at and in a prototypical sense anyway, go, that guy's going to go out there against the opposition's best players. And he's a penalty killing stud. He's got the size. I mean, because you look at Ekblad, right? Ekblad has been great in the playoffs, but Ekblad is definitely more offensively oriented than he is defensive. Uh, Ekblad's defensive numbers this year in the regular season were awful. Uh, you look at uh, Brandon Montour, game breaker offensively, but very up and down defensively. Gustav Forsling, he's been really solid defensively, but he's a little bit undersized, right? So that gives you confidence from the Canucks' standpoint, because when you look at their blue line, it um, you know you have Hughes and Hronik, and beyond that, there are so many question marks and there's always been that stylistic question mark of can you win without that sort of Tanev type 
defensively oriented um, matchup defender to help at five on five and at even strength. And so it's it's encouraging to see the Panthers, from my standpoint anyway, have this uh, have the success. And I think the reason it's worked really well f- for Florida is because with their system, they play a sort of style that with their blue line, the way Florida defends is almost because of how aggressively they forecheck. It's a case of a player like Forsling, for example, I think is better in Florida's system than he would be elsewhere because all he has to do is kind of pinch up the walls really aggressively. And that's such an important job is just utilizing his skating in North-South. And that's the one area, I guess, where aside from um, uh, aside from Stahl, when you look at Forsling and Montour having so much success, that blue line is at least mobile and, and has guys that can skate. And I think in that sort of environment, the, I think Paul Maurice has sort of realized that, okay, we may not have the sort of natural shutdown guys. So what we're going to do is kind of defend by just applying pressure all over, all over the ice. Uh, and that starts in the offensive zone with, with their forecheck. Meanwhile, for the Leafs, look, when you look at Edmonton, they've got to stay the course, right? You've got the, arguably the two best players in the world playing for you. It's not like you're going to break that up. Um, you know, they've got to keep adding pieces. They've got to keep learning tough lessons you know, and, and you hope Skinner can can emerge and follow up a Calder Trophy season, and we'll talk to Woodley about that on the other side. But if you're the Leafs, you got to look at this because when you look at their core four that they talk about all the time, right? With uh, with Matthews and Marner and and Nylander and Tavares, these guys have simply not gotten the job done for the last five seasons. Like flat out, not good enough, right? Uh, five goals combined in the deciding games that they've dealt with in those last five seasons. When you look at expected goals this year, right? You know, I think they they won the expected goals battle in two of 11 playoff games. Uh, Craig Button talked about this last night from Sport Logic. got uh, the fact that against the other seven playoff teams in the East, they only won the expected goals battle in six of 23 games. Like, they are not good enough. You know, and I know Drancher loves how they're built and loves Matthews and, you know, pushed for him to win the heart. They're not good enough. They have shown they cannot perform in the playoffs. You know, you look at the connection, they're one sample size in the playoffs, and Hughes and Pedersen and Miller did just fine. These core players for the Toronto Maple Leafs flat out have proven repeatedly into their cores they cannot collectively get the job done. What do you do? Well, something has to give because you also look at the fact that both Matthews and Nylander are, are a year away from um, from requiring raises because of their mm-hmm. contracts situation. So, especially in the case of Nylander, who is on a cat on, I think he might be a little bit below seven right now. Like in his case, especially he's due for a significant raise. So there's no way you can look at the Leafs right now, right? And how much money they have committed to their top guys and think that, things are going to get better in a world where you have to actually commit more to those guys. So to me, something has to give up. I don't know what, what the answer is, to be totally honest with you. I think everybody's sort of looking at Nylander because he's probably the easiest contract to move and sort of makes more sense as a winger. He's going to need the raise. And, and I get that. But also, it's funny because out of the core four, he's probably the guy that, the, that in these playoffs last couple of years has stepped up to the occasion more so than any of the other three guys. Yeah, that's fair. So, that's fair. And, and Tavares I mean, isn't getting any younger, but I mean, you know, that, like contractually, that's a little different story. Yeah. I, and, and it also starts like they've got to figure out what they're going to do with Dubas, what they're going to do in management. That to me, 
you can't even have a discussion about the core four before you figure out what's going on in um in management and they don't have a lot of time to figure all of this out the the draft and everything is is coming up pretty soon and in the case of you look at um Marner as well and and I believe I believe Matthews as well but I'm not 100% sure on him these guys have some level of no trade or no move protection as well kicking in July 1st so they've got to make these decisions fast and I don't envy their position at all no doubt. Uh, meanwhile, I envy us because we get to talk to our good friend Kevin Woodley coming up on the other side. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Just want to let you know that I was driven here to this appearance on the VanCast by my good friends at Key West Ford in New Westminster. And right now, uh, this guy needs no introduction because if you're talking about goaltending, there is no guy you would rather talk to than our good friend Kevin Woodley from InGoal Magazine, NHL.com, and so many other places in between. Woody, thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. So let's start with last night's game. And when you look at Skinner and the decision that Jay Woodcroft had to make, because, you know, this guy has been his guy all season, right? He's a Calder Trophy finalist. It looks like Edmonton has something figured out in goal. They went and acquired Jack Campbell, and it turned out this young guy proved to be their guy all season long. So repeatedly, Woodcroft found himself going back to Skinner. And in the previous game, he had to yank him, yanked him three times in the last four games, uh, you know, made the case right away that he was going to go back to Skinner. Did he make the right decision, number one? And number two, did Skinner simply run out of gas, given how much he'd been playing and at the time of year when he's probably not that used to playing? Yeah. I mean, I, I almost feel like I'd have to have a conversation with Stuart Skinner and, and the staff there to, to know, know that for sure. I mean, from the outside, it's really easy to surmise that. I mean, here's the reality of Stuart Skinner's season. Up until March, a lot of the success that we saw, and this is taking nothing away from the kid because he... You know, he basically won the starting job ahead of a you know a guy making 25 sheets with lots more experience based on his play. But up until March, you know, the all-star game appearance and a lot of that was in part team driven, like in large part team driven. Like his numbers, I should say, were team driven. One of the higher expected save percentages in the entire league. Actually underperformed it. Like he was a below, he was an NHL all-star with a below expected save percentage through March 1st. Now, where he gets a lot of credit is in the final six weeks of the season, he really took a step. Um, the numbers he was producing were him. They were no longer sort of, you know, inflated um as significantly by the environment he was playing behind. And so, you know, I think you need that context when you judge his postseason. A lot of what we saw in the regular season, a lot of what was celebrated 
was a function of that team defending, you know, at a level that I don't think a lot of people really gave them credit for. Like we talk about five on five high danger chances. Those are the ones I look at the most when it comes to projecting playoff success. And they were a top two team until March 1st. Interestingly enough, they got worse after after the Ekholm trade. They dropped significantly. And the numbers they were giving up were actually closer to that defensively in the playoffs, which is interesting. But in those final six weeks, Skinner really picked up his game. Seeing more dangerous chances more often, he was better. And that's why you sort of had some confidence going into the playoffs. Like, hey, this wasn't a guy that was just propped up by team play or, or in part by team play. Um, you know, he was doing it on his own. Those numbers just weren't there in the playoffs, both from a team defensive standpoint for long stretches and and his performance. Like, you know, there's there's there is only one goalie in the postseason um, that you know had a worse goal saved, I guess, below expected, and that was Vitek Vanacek. Um, now Skinner played a lot more, so grain of salt there. But I mean, he just he did not get the job done. I can't tell you why. I can't tell you how much of it was fatigue, how much of it was pressure. I have a ton of faith that the kid's going to continue to build. Like when you see his approach mentally, um, how he bounced back from certain situations, the way he, you know, even when he broke the stick, um, just the way he approaches everything. Like he's still a really good goaltender for them moving forward. Like I think there's a lot there, um, but it wasn't there in the playoffs. And I think it is fair to ask um, based on that and based on the fact we're, you know, significant amount of games in, um, you know, by the time that final decision was made, it's fair to ask whether, you know, maybe they should have at least given Campbell a start sooner to see if what he was doing in relief was repeatable as a starter. Because don't forget, like, this is the other part of this equation. Every time Jack Campbell went in, and interestingly enough, he has the only adjusted save percentage in the playoffs that's better than Igor Shesterkin, tiny sample, but that is what it is. But but that's different. Like going in in relief is different than having to start. You're not thinking. You're not sitting on it. You know a lot of the you know struggles we've seen with Jack Campbell are you know as much between the ears as they are between the pipes. And so what would you have gotten out of him in a start compared to what you were getting out of him in relief when maybe there's a little bit of score effects taking place? Um, you know I, I I wonder, and I wonder if maybe the time to find that out wasn't sooner than facing elimination because that becomes a much tougher decision at that point. Yeah, like there's no doubt about it. When you look at the numbers, you know, um, in terms of expected goals, uh, in virtually every game in the series, Skinner performed below, right? Uh, and in the like you say, in the small sample size, um, Campbell was, was better. He was ahead of him. When you listen to the comments from Skinner post-game, he certainly took a lot of it on himself about needing to be better. What's the future for him? I mean, you, you, because I think the best of Skinner really was those last six weeks of the regular season, right? Which goaltender is he? He's 24 years old. So he's kind of right at the time when you want a guy to start getting his career going at, at that level as a full-time starter. So, you know, do, do they have to revisit what they're doing at the position or should, should they just continue to invest in Skinner as their future and find a way to do something else with Campbell? Well, I mean, they've got him on a friendly contract. Uh, Skinner, mm -hmm. I think his extension kicks in next year. I, I Top of my head, what is it, guys? Like two, three, two, three, seven, five in that range. Uh, sounds about right. So, I mean, not. I mean, that's not prohibitive. You saw what he did this year, especially in those last six weeks. And the question is, are those six weeks repeatable? Um, you know, I don't. You know, as a team, they're they're the kind you want to play behind as a goaltender because, like, I think the narrative around them defensively. Um, it reminds me of the Leafs a little bit. For years, it was all oh, they lean too heavily on their goaltending. Uh, and that wasn't the case for a large chunk of this season.
he's in. So if they continue to be that team, it's a good environment for him. Let him continue to grow. You know, I, I don't know that you have a choice with Jack Campbell in terms of what you do, right? Like you're not moving that. Um, no. So, and, and the other reality here too is like for a lot of people that criticize the Jack Campbell signing, hey, listen, I would have been one of the first ones. I'd look at it, talk about adjusted numbers. When I looked at ClearSight uh, analytics, you know, Jack Campbell graded out in the 30s both years in Toronto. I'm not paying $5 million a year for a goaltender who grades out in the 30s. And I think what you have to be careful with in terms of Skinner um, moving forward is that there are at least some similarities, not in style, but in performance relative to environment. As I said, a lot of what we saw in the regular season was a product of the environment. And yet you can't ignore the fact that at that age in his first year in the NHL, um, even behind a team that was good defensively, like he was, he was, he was fine. Like he, that is a lot of pressure at that age with that experience. And he lived up to it and he's had kind of a steady progression over the past couple of years. So I still think there's a good goalie there for sure. Um, and the other part is if you don't have Jack Campbell there, I'm not saying it should be Jack Campbell, but if you don't have somebody like him there this season and Skinner goes into it expecting to be the number one or with the expectations he will carry this cup contending team, you know, I don't think it's fair to assume that he has the results he has. Um, you know, there's a benefit to having a been there, done that guy alongside you to take a lot of that pressure off of you. So uh, is it ideal to come back with both of them? Probably not. But given where they've put themselves from a cap situation, I don't know what choice you have. It's, you're going to have to move assets and and give something away to move off the Campbell contract. Uh, and without having a list of unrestricted free agents in front of me, you know, I, I don't know what your options are going to be that will be more affordable and how much better they will be. Like Campbell actually, I thought, took a few steps this year as the year went on. He lost his confidence. And that's always going to be, this is always going to be part of the problem with Jack Campbell is it's not technical. Like they have improved some things in his game since he's been there. But at the end of the day, it's always going to be a large element of feel and rhythm and timing. And there's an unpredictability that comes with that. So in terms of what they do, I honestly, I don't know if they have choice, but to bring them both back. I, you're not going to find anyone that's a better, cheaper option um, than Stuart Skinner. And I don't know that you can move from Jack Campbell. So yeah, I mean, if anything where they should have looked if they had such little faith in Jack Campbell. If anything, they should have been in the market for one of the cheaper options that I discussed heading into the trade deadline, Jonas Corposalo, who they beat, or Kevin Lankinen, um, who was re-signed by Nashville, but quietly was having a similarly excellent season to Corposalo when I look at the adjusted numbers. like He was posting numbers in tight, no, like very limited starts that weren't that far behind UC Soros. So um, if you're going to bring them back and they have the same type of inconsistency next year, I just think you need to be you know, at least willing to look at one of the rental options and maybe in retrospect, given how little faith they seem to have in Campbell, that's something they should have considered this year too. Well, the, it seems like we've seen some really strange goaltending results so far in the playoffs. When you look at, for example, how excellent Sergei Bobrovsky has been in the postseason after it feels like for the regular season he was really struggling and he's and for the mo for the most part with his contract he's been um he's been really inconsistent and underperforming that uh, you look at Philip Grubauer um last year one of the worst goaltenders in in the entire league this year a little bit better but not by a lot but not not by much and then 
the the spring in the playoffs, he's been he's been really really solid for the most part. Then on the flip side as well, looking at what happened to Boston with Allmark and um, well mainly Allmark Swayman just only had the one start, and even with even Tampa with uh, with Vasilevsky, it, it also you look at how Jake Ottinger is really the only name brand goalie sort of left am- among the teams that are still alive. What do you make of of all of this in, in in the big picture in terms of what it means about goaltending? I think it means, and in some ways, this isn't a new message. Like I, I remember, you know, at the risk of losing my goalie union card, um, you know, and I've had other goalie coaches express this to me before. Like if you give them a choice, we'll give you three elite centers, we'll give you an elite top four on D, or we'll give you a superstar elite number one goaltender. Which one do you want? Goalie coaches are going to tell you, give me the elite top four D and I'll build you a goalie that can win behind them. Um, I, I do think that we're seeing a little bit more of that. And it's not really new. It's a continuation of what Colorado did last year. Like Outside of Bobrovsky, I guess. And even them, the numbers that are being bandied about and the talk of how good his performance is, like the underlying numbers aren't that crazy good. Like They really aren't. Um, so, you know, a lot of that I think is, I I think it's more about what the team can dictate and who can dictate their style of play and who can take away the strengths of the other team play to their strengths and not have their weaknesses isolated right down to in goal. Um, so I, I, I think we're just seeing again at the risk of losing the goalie union card, this is maybe not the position you need to prioritize. And and we just talked about Edmonton in trouble because they didn't have it, but I, I, I don't know that anybody's winning because of elite, elite goaltending. There's actually really only been one elite, elite performance in the playoffs so far, and that was Igor Shosturkin. He was gone in the first round. Like everybody, and Aiden Hill's been good for the last three games, but that's that's a tiny sample, right? Like, but Brodsky's like plus 1.4 adjusted save percentage. That's not crazy. That's not even getting you in the Vesna conversation on an annual basis. Even though that's the type of narrative that's been built around his performance so far, the reality is Florida as a team has been a lot better than their opponents in terms of what they give up. And there are times when Bob looks even more spectacular because of the style he plays. But this isn't, you know, this isn't just Sergei Bobrovsky leading them to the Eastern Conference final. It's the same with Grubauer. Like Grubauer's numbers this season, this is one thing that I think gets lost. And I know he's cooled off you know, sort of the second half of this Dallas series has has deflated his numbers because they were up there Shishterkin-esque through the first round. So he, you know, he's the one that sort of got his team through the first round as a goalie. Um, but since the second round, they've cooled off and they're right where they were in the regular season, around plus 0.8% on adjusted save percentage. So out of every 100 shots, he's, sa- you know, he's saving you a goal or a little under a goal. That's where he was in the regular season, guys. Like, he was not that bad in the regular season. I keep hearing a lot of this talk. The numbers I have access to say that he had one of the worst environments in the league. And part of that was coming back at the start of the season. He got the, for lack of a better term, shit sandwiches in terms of the starts. While Martin Jones got the better ones. There what did seem to be a little bit of a loss of faith, maybe even in his teammates and his performance based on last year into early this season. They played horribly in front of him. His adjusted or his expected numbers this season were 877. Like that was his expected eight percentage, save percentage. So everybody sees an 895 and they're like, man, like he was terrible this year. He wasn't. He was he flirted with top 20. He wasn't exceptional, but he's basically giving you what he's giving you now. And, and again, I just think that a lot of this is sort of reflects where we're at. Like it's the team that can tr- control play. 
can not give up high danger chances at five on five, can create them at the other end. These are the teams that are moving on. It's it's not irregardless of goaltending, but it's maybe a little less reliant on goaltending than I don't know if it less reliant than it has been in the past or just rest, less reliant than we we've always thought it's been in the past. But either way, you know, outside of a couple names, and like I said, Shesterkin's not even playing anymore. Um, this isn't about the goaltending. Yeah, and to tie this back into the Canucks, they're obviously lucky to have somebody like Thatcher Demko and established name. But one of the other trends we've seen is that around the league, it seems like teams are like the days of the elite workhorse starter who plays 60, 65 games and can carry carry you on an entire playoff run and we never see the number two. Those days seem like they're uh, numbered. We're seeing more and more tandems. And for the Canucks, obviously going into next season, there are uh, question marks around what are they going to do behind um, Demko? Is it going to be Seelovs, especially at a time where he's young and and could playing a lot of games in the AHL be better for his development as opposed to playing lesser starts as as a number two in Vancouver? And of course, Spencer Martin is in the fray as well, especially in the wake of Alvin saying it doesn't sound like they're going to go after a veteran backup in, in free agency. When you look at the Canucks as sort of number two situation behind Demko going into next season, how where do you stand on it in terms of Seelovs, Martin, your confidence level and all of it? Well, I mean, I think you would be foolish to blindly say you have complete confidence in where they're at based on what happened this season. Now, I will say um, that especially before the coaching change, I don't know that it mattered who you had in goal including Thatcher Demko. And we saw that in his numbers before he got hurt. So the way they played, I don't think it mattered who you had in net. And so I'm trying not to judge the guys who played a lot of games behind that team too harshly. I would have liked to have seen Spencer Martin down the stretch behind the Rick Tockett team. That, by the way, those five-on-five numbers I talked on earlier after Tockett came were top end of the league, like top five, top 10, like as opposed to bottom three where they were under Boudreaux both last year and this year. So I don't think they're going to be leaning as hard on their goaltending as they did. And and I frankly, as they have, you know, getting back to Jacob Markstrom, right? Like it's, you know, it's that old Elaine Vigneault line that Farhan will remember, come on Lou, right? Like that was the philosophy. So um, that, makes it a little easier to sort of not stress about the position. And yet with that much inexperience and with the season that Spencer had, I, I understand what pe- why people would. It was interesting to me, but not surprising to me, that in elimination game, they broke their back and forth sort of rotation they had going with Seelovs and Martin to give Spencer Martin back-to-back starts in the American Hockey League playoffs. I know that from an opponent standpoint, um, they were happy to see a rotation because they felt Spencer Martin at this point was the better goaltender. And I thought that was interesting from from an outsider perspective, from another team perspective. They were happy to see a rotation because as much and as big as we are on Seelove's future here in Vancouver, other teams saw Spencer Martin as a better goaltender right now. I think he can do the job next year. I think you're obviously going to need someone else as an insurance policy. Like they're going to need a veteran in the minors anyways. And you would hope it would be a guy who, you know, in case of emergency can give you games in the national hockey league. I think what's most likely to happen, and I could be wrong on this, but like in an ideal sort of setup, you have a, an elite number one, 
And they've got that in Demko. And you have a guy who's probably not going to play that much, especially when you have a guy who's going to play a lot in Demko, when you have an elite number one. Your backup's going to play every two weeks. And that's Spencer Martin to me. But then if something happens to Demko and you need somebody to play for two straight weeks instead of every two weeks, maybe that's Seelovs. Maybe that's where he's playing and he's in rhythm. And if things continue to build for him in the American Hockey League, you know, that's where the role changes. Or maybe it is Seelovs from the start and he just bounces back and forth and gets games in the American League on weekends, you know, where you know it's a Saturday and Demko's going to play and the farm team's down the road and they're playing three and three. You just pull Spencer Martin up to sit on the bench behind Demko and you let Seelovs go down and play three games over the weekend. So I don't know how they're going to handle it. I do think they're going to add something to that mix. But as as Alvin said, I mean, this is, I don't think it's ideal. I don't know that they believe it's ideal either, but it's where they're at on the cap. They need Thatcher Demko to be the guy we saw down the stretch, to be the guy we saw last year. They need him to stay healthy this season, which, you know, hey, it's not just this season. He didn't finish the year, you know, two years ago either. So they need to see him stay healthy. Um or they're in trouble, right? Like I shouldn't say in trouble. Things are things are. There's a lot more questions marks than there are answers if those things don't happen. And that's that's not ideal. That's just where they are in the cap. They just don't have the money to spend on goaltending. Yeah, no doubt. And, and truthfully, I, I don't think it'd be a horrible solution for them to try to get Silovs' games here, but still let him get heavy work in Abbotsford. And if you can split the backup role and give each of those guys. Uh, 10 to 12 starts, uh, you know, and obviously that doesn't factor in for injury, but if you can give 10 to 12 to Seelovs and 10 to 12 to Martin, I, I I do think you can get through where you're going to get exposed is what happened this year when Thatcher Demko got hurt, because then it might not be the ideal situation for either one of them. But um, nonetheless, you're right. They don't have a lot of choices. They're not going to be able to bring in a backup, uh, a legitimate veteran NHL backup and pay him as such. You know, can you create a scenario where that person happens to fall into your lap because there just aren't enough spots and you wind up being able to bury that contract in the minors, maybe, but I just don't see that being their focus given their other needs at this point. But Kevin, listen, love talking to you as always. Uh, when we get into the playoffs, goaltending always comes at the forefront, whether it's Vegas is number three that gets into the third round or uh, Edmonton's bright young prospect that um, just couldn't get it done in this round. But uh, And you and I will continue to debate uh, back and forth what the what the solution is, build a team with your, with all your cap going to a goaltender or, or build it differently? Because uh, we want to make sure you get to keep that goaltending union card, my friend. Yeah, I know. I'd like to say the latter farhan, but the truth is, <laughs> truth is that isn't, you know, like it's, that's the knock on the door. They're coming to get the card. It's just the reality. And, um, you know, listen, like, like I said, it's funny. I said goaltending isn't important, but when you don't have it, it sure is important. I just think there, there are so few at the elite, elite level that you pay big money to. Um, you're better to have that depth that we're seeing come through right now for the Vegas Golden Knights. Like that's more important than it is to have an elite number one starter. And I think these playoffs are once again proving that. And we got a game seven tonight, Dallas and Seattle. And you know, if, if Canuck fans are feeling a level of glee when Edmonton and Toronto lost, I'm curious to see how they really feel about Seattle. Do you do you figure that? You don't want that because you hope at some point this team is a rival or do you uh, want to shame the owner and the current organization to how things should actually be done? I don't know. Let me uh, tell I'd you like this. I've been down there, Farhan. The only game I missed was six because I uh, of the second round. I've actually been covering uh, the first two rounds for NHL.com of the Kraken. So I'll be down in Seattle a lot over the last few weeks. Um, and man, like... 
Like, I'm not saying I care one way or the other, although take, I'll take a few more weeks of paychecks from NHL.com covering playoff hockey because it's, it's nice to go into a rink when it's this, when this weather, like it reminds me of, you know, 2011 in that era, sure. like mid twenties and, and walking into a rink to cover a playoff game where the sun is shining, the beer garden they have going outside the game at climate pledge, the facility. Um, this is not it's a, awesome. Hey, fantastic. Oh, it, it, it's unreal. And it's such a great sports town and they're all in on the Kraken right now. And, you know, I will say like, I, I, I don't mean this to be a shame, you know, like I'm not here to say that's how fans should treat this shame, the shame ownership for, but there are a lot of things that I, even I didn't realize like the practice rink. I've beat that one. I beat that horse dead over the years, but such an amazing facility. It's ridiculous. They don't have one here. Um, and then the other things like, like the scoreboard, I know they have two. I know it's a brand new arena. I know it's state of the art, but I didn't realize just how outdated the one was at Rogers <laughs> arena in terms of the quality until yeah. I got into another barn. And I will say this, I also was in Calgary for volleyball nationals with my daughter last week, and I got out to a Wranglers game. And if you think we have it bad here in Vancouver in terms of old seats and outdated scoreboards and no practice facility, oh my God, how is that an NHL barn in Calgary? Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. Um, you keep hearing different stories about whether or not it's going to end anytime soon. We'll see. It doesn't. It doesn't look good. And if you want to talk about players that don't want to play there. That's probably the single biggest reason. You can talk about Canadian market and Daryl Sutter and all of it, but playing there matters. But listen, bud, uh, hopefully you get a chance to get back down to Seattle for round three. We'll see if they can get through tonight's game seven, but it'll be a lot of fun to to get down there and be able to drive and experience it close at hand. And when I tell everybody you shouldn't be cheering for the Blue Jays because you can get right there to the Mariners easily, another example. You want great playoff hockey? You can get down to Seattle right away. Uh, thanks for doing this, Kevin. We'll talk soon. Harm, you and I will talk next week. Uh, in the meantime, if you are looking for other podcast options, Keith Jones, the president of hockey operations for the Philadelphia Flyers, joins Sean Gentilly and Max Boltman on the Athletic Hockey Show USA podcast. Also, Rob Pizzo, Jesse Granger, and Mike Russo welcome Doug McLean to the Wednesday roundtable for the Athletic Hockey Show. And Russo, I got a chuckle out of Russo the other day, or last night, because, you know, Oiler fans are all upset about the officiating as you'd expect and they don't want Canada to win a Stanley Cup and or Edmonton to win a Stanley Cup and Russo's like yeah boy it sure would be nice if Gary would actually give them a number one overall pick I mean just one <laughs> it was good. Uh, so uh, you can you can listen to those guys on the Wednesday roundtable on the Athletic Hockey Show uh, you can also get a new subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash vancast harm it's going to be a hot week what do you got going well, I'm leaving on uh, Wednesday to Montreal. Uh, I'm going to a music festival with uh, with some of my friends. Going to be visiting Boston as well because nice. it's not too far. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm pumped up for that. I'm sure when you plan this, you expected Boston to still be in the playoffs. I, I did. I, I I told my friends, I'm like, we're not going to a Bruins game if it if it's still on. But I was like, maybe Celtics. And so, funny enough, now now have no choice. I don't know if, if the schedule will line up where you, you can go to uh, an NBA game, but uh, uh, yeah, it's. I definitely did not think Boston was going to be out by uh, uh, by this time. So, pretty funny there. Yeah, th those tickets are expensive. Just so you know, uh, in, in case you can't I get know. athletic accreditation, my friend. I I know it's crazy. Especially because even even in the regular, like I've really wanted to go to an NBA game, like really badly. And sometimes when I'm on the road, I check tickets. And specifically, I've tried to like 
you know, when I'm in Colorado last year, for example, I'm like, okay, like Denver Nuggets tickets shouldn't be outrageously expensive, but then the schedules don't line up in terms of the day off and that, you know, the team playing at um, at, at home in Denver. Um, Raptors tickets were ridiculously expensive for such a mid team, like such a underwhelming team. And I was like, okay, that's just not worth it. And then I wanted to go see Brooklyn when I was in New York and especially because I'm a, uh, I'm a big KD fan and KD was in Brooklyn at the time and it just didn't work out where they played the same night as uh, I think the Canucks were playing the Islanders. So I was like, can't do that. And then I was like, okay, maybe Knicks. And then I looked at, I was like, man, these Knicks, Knicks like, like, I like NBA basketball. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know about dropping 300 USD for nosebleeds um, just to go to a Knicks game. So I'll, I'll have to figure something out at some point. <laughs> you will indeed. Have a good week, my friend. We'll talk next week. Thank you. And thanks to, all, thanks to all the VIPs for listening, for logging on. We always love your contributions. We'll talk to you soon.